Hey guys, this is Brian from Beyond the Pond. Just a quick disclaimer before we get to the episode. This was recorded before the murder of George Floyd, the subsequent peaceful protests, and the police brutality which has engulfed our country. The episode doesn't avoid this subject. It was just recorded before the most immediate unrest we're witnessing. We at Beyond the Pond and Osiris Media stand in solidarity with those who are protesting police violence and inequality across the country. We held off on new episodes to allow the voices of those who are active in this movement to be heard before adjusting our schedule to honor it. We do want to continue with our mission to bring new music content to you. If you need more time and don't want to tune in right now, we totally understand. We hope you are well and hope to see you soon. On to the show. Hey guys, this is Eric Krasno here. Wanted to tell you about a brand new podcast that I'm putting together with my friends from Osiris. It's called Eric Krasno Plus One. I'll be sitting down with a lot of my favorite musicians and people from the entertainment industry that I've gotten to know over the years. One of the great things about being a touring musician are the people I've met along the way. Some of my favorite memories from the 20 years I've spent on the road are the backstage conversations and hearing my favorite musicians tell their stories. I've gotten to meet many of my heroes and watched many young musicians become legends in their own right. The one constant I've found is that they all have a unique and interesting story to tell. There's a certain bond that just happens between musicians, especially musicians that have been on the road together. I invite you to be a fly on the wall for these conversations. Welcome to Eric Krasno Plus One. global health crisis we're facing right now has threatened the livelihood and mental health of countless musicians. Backline is the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub, and their work is more vital than ever. Launched in 2019, Backline aims to give artists, crew, and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline is currently hosting virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breathwork sessions. Osiris is proud to partner with Backline. To donate, learn more, or to get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. Again, that's backline.care. Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You're tuned episode 99. Ooh, that sounds good. 99 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. 
We are fish fans, especially in quarantine. We want all the comfort food, but sometimes fish fans get a bit myopic, and it's our job to do something about that. And we're especially doing something about it in this episode, which has very little fish. Why is that? Some fish, slight fish, little fish, but not a lot of fish, because this episode, we're going to take a pause and reflect back on 2020 so far. We have opinions. We also have albums that we've really liked that have come out here in the first half of the year. We're going to go ahead and share those in this episode. We are going to count down our top albums of 2020, kind of dig into our larger listening habits, share some of the big records that have come out this year, some that we're looking forward to before the end of this year. But really what this episode is for is to take stock of what we've enjoyed chat about it, share some music with you guys that we think that you'll dig and uh, start looking towards the latter half of the first year of an already insane decade. Yeah, it's uh, despite the absolute awfulness of uh, the first half of 2020, I don't think anyone could argue it's been a very enjoyable time. There's been a lot of really good records, and I mean, totally. a lot of the really good Memorial Day barbecue records type, which we love, and that would have sounded really great, blurring out of cars and beaches and environs, what have you, we'll have to, um, and I guess you can still do it in your backyard or your back porch, as long as you're socially distanced, but you know what I'm getting at. So anyway, some of uh, to outline this episode, some themes that we're going to explore include how we have changed as listeners. A look ahead to upcoming releases in Brian and Dave's top 10 albums of the year so far. So, on that note, let's get to some non-fish. So before we get started here, we've got a couple things that we wanted to uh, take care of before we jump into our formal lists. And one of them is to say, we didn't do this episode last year and we're sorry. We're really glad. No, we didn't do the top albums of the year of 2019 so far. Uh, We didn't do it because we were so focused on, we had a lot of top albums lists that came out last year. Uh, We did our bonus episodes where we counted down our top albums of every year of the 2010s up to 2019. And then we recorded our top albums of the decade, if that wasn't enough. And then we recorded our top albums of 2019. So this is our first time since 2018 taking a 
pause and a look back on the year as it is thus far. And I'm quite excited about it. This is uh, one of my favorite episodes to re- to record each year because I like kind of making these lists and I also like seeing in December how much these lists have changed. Before we jump into that list though, I wanted to talk about how we've changed as listeners over the last year. So thinking back to midway through 2019, Dave, what would you say are kind of the big changing factors that have added to your either enjoyment or your changing tastes or kind of where your list is at right now? Um, well, definitely I'll say just by virtue of being stuck inside with my wife and two children all day, I don't listen to as much music as I used to. So when I like something, I really, really like it. Um, it's just the ability to kind of sneak into my own world and headphones has gone down substantially. I mean, sometimes we're able to put on records in the evening or kind of towards the end of the day when one of the kids is going to sleep. Yeah. But without a commute, without a commute, and without music at my office, it's just less. I think that there's a lot of people who are probably dealing with the same thing. I mean, less time to listen to music, less time to listen to podcasts. So if you're hearing my voice right now, thank you very much for, uh, for choosing Beyond the Pond for your podcast listening. So, I mean, that's more artificial in the sense that's just a sign of the times we're living in in terms of my changing tastes i mean i don't know if i've changed so much since last year i mean i kind of always am valuing good singer songwriters again more than ever and it's really i just the older i get the more emphasis i put on the song i mean that goes as well as jam bands as well as non-jam bands, I mean, before you can do anything, before you can play curly cues backwards, upside down with your wah pedals, you gotta come with the songs. And I think all of um, my selections that you'll see on this list is really excellent songwriters first and foremost. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of truth to that for me as well, um, both in the kind of artificial standpoint of, you know, I'm stuck inside and that's totally changed how often I listen to music and kind of how I'm listening to music, but I think also the importance of the craft of the song. Um, What I would say for me is uh, 2019 was unquestionably one of the five most important years I've ever had as a music listener. It was for me on par with 2001, 2009, 2013, and 2015 as just a year that like, I mean, it felt like I was expanding what I cared about in music and what I wanted to hear daily and that I was finding a lot of ease in discovering new and challenging music. It was also a really phenomenal year for music. Uh, I think that we both could have made top 30 lists as opposed to top 20 lists last year. But In 2019? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was an amazing year for music, but I felt like... I mean, I think this podcast has something to do with it where, like, you know, I've always been seeking out new music, but I would definitely go through periods of... Uh, kind of lackadaisical approach where maybe I'd listen to the same thing over and over and over again. And then, okay, here's three new albums. Like part of recording this podcast and planning out these episodes is that I always have to be thinking about, okay, what's going to be my new album? What am I going to use as an example here based off of this fish jam? And that all kind of came to a head in 2019 where it felt like everything I went after, I suddenly got immediately and knew either a i love this or i don't necessarily need this 
But even if I didn't need it or I didn't like it necessarily, I still would listen to it and I still felt like I could understand it and feel it. And that felt like a huge step forward as a listener in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, I mean, it's like for me too, just by virtue of having this podcast, we hope that we're kind of opening up the listener's ear to more music, but it's kind of forced me to open my ears to new music and try to seek out as much as possible just yeah. to be well-rounded and to have content yeah. and, you know, kind of... Uh, take ourselves on a journey and the listeners on a journey. hundred percent. And what I found this year is while I'm not experiencing the same level of awakening daily as a listener, like I did last year, uh, I'm finding more quickly. My interest becomes solidified in this like velvet underground style jamming and atonal experimentation and psychedelic jamming and rock. That's kind of larger musical obsession for me right now is if you can write a good song, that has a lot of space and jams in a psychedelic rock, chugly, cosmic country, whatever you will, type of way. <laughs> that's that's my zone right now. But I'm also like everything that's on like Aquarium Drunker, that's on Raven Sings the Blues, Jeff Conklin's Off on Ghetto, yes, radio show, all that stuff. That's yeah. been that's been my jam. Yes, same here. And so it's been a fun year uh, from a musical standpoint, a fun half year to actually feel like I'm, uh, you know, really, I feel like I'm coasting in some ways, but I also feel like I'm uh, constantly learning new bands and new music and it's just coming at me a million miles an hour. So it's been a fun last year to discover and really kind of grow as a listener. Um, yeah. I'm stoked. I'm stoked to, to showcase these records that we've got. But before we do that, we wanted to just give a quick overview of where we're at thus far in 2020, highlighting some big records that have come out here in the first half of the year, as well as some big records that are on the horizon, because music is still coming out. Music is still being released. Music is still being written about. Some of these records have TBAs next to them because we don't know exactly when they're going to be released. But Dave, what are some of the big records that we've heard thus far in 2020? Certainly, um, Fiona Apple, especially the Bolt Cutters, which you'll be hearing more about soon. Um, Dan Behar, Destroyers, Have We Met? I think what they came out like in the January, beginning of February. Yeah, right around then. It was like it came out seven years ago. Yeah. Um, Tame Impala, The Slow Rush, that came out on uh, Valentine's Day, I think. Really, really pretty drums. Kind of uh, like a wallpaper record. I think if anyone um, kind of got steamrolled by the pandemic, it might have been Kevin Parker. Unfortunately, yeah. I That record didn't click with me even before the pandemic, but I felt like there was a chance that it could click with me, like maybe springtime if I tuned into like his Coachella stream or something and it was like a beautiful night and I had just enough, you know, just enough substance to kind of ease me along and it just didn't right. happen for him. Let's see what else? Pearl Jam's Gigaton. I might talk about that record a little bit. I think it's really excellent if you're a Pearl Jam fan. What else we got? Thundercat it is what it is. Came out in early April. The Strokes, The New Abnormal, came out in late April. Ugh. I don't know if it's a really big album, but, you know, big release, uh, if you will. Uh, I guess. 
Jason Isbell reunions came out about a week ago, according to uh, or, uh, yeah. from where we're recording at. Um, just recently, the Moses Sumney Gray record, as well as Perfume Geniuses, Set My Heart on Fire immediately came out. Those were big uh, pitchfork records that got best new musics back to back and huge reviews. What else we got? We have uh, the 1975 Notes in a Conditional Form. My platform is Fuck the 1975. I don't know how you feel about them. And then uh, Shabazz Palaces, The Dawn of Diamond Dreams. Of course, that's um, Ishmael Butler, also known as uh, was Butterfly in Indigable Planets. Shabazz Palaces is his more recent, really excellent project. In terms of the last half of the year, we don't totally know what the last half of the year is going to look like from an album release standpoint. A lot of these records have either been pushed back or still have TBA dates, release dates on them. Some of these artists at some point, I would guess like the deadline's going to be like July or August, might just opt to push these to 2021 when they can actually tour off of them when there's more relevance around it. But uh, what are some of our biggest records that we're anticipating and hoping for here in 2020? Neil Young, Homegrown. I won't believe that's real until I see it on my turntable, but that's allegedly being released. Um, <laughs> Heim, Women in Music Part 3, a.k.a. Wimp. That was uh, supposed to come out on April 24th. I think they pushed the release date up to, I think, like June 21st. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, the new one from Run the Jewels, of course, being Killer Mike and LP. RTJ4, that's coming out, I think, next month. New Nicole Atkins record, Italian Ice. She's always reliable and excellent. I think that comes out pretty soon. And uh, there's a new Lady Gaga record called Chromatica coming out. I really like the first single quite a bit. So yeah. um, I'm curious to see what Good. that's like. Uh, Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever, Sideways to a New Italy. Uh, listeners of the Pond over the last couple of years will know that we loved... Their record from 2018, uh, Hope Downs. Mm. And uh, and have big expectations about this. Uh, huge guitars, huge hooks within their, their music. And I don't know. Australia could use something good. Uh, wildflower, wildfires plus, uh, plus COVID back to back. They could use a uh, great young up and coming band to write some killer songs. They did flatten the hell out of the curve, though. They did. They did. Australia did. Um, some of you may be interested in the new Krongbin record, Mordecai. Um, I am <laughs> not some of you. Um, but, hey, if, if, if you dig it, man, Trey digs it. If you dig it, you know. Uh, Matt Berninger of the National. Some of you may not be interested in the National. I am not some of you. You know, I, <laughs> I am <laughs> I'm very pro-National. I will look forward to that, even though a lot of Matt's solo stuff, uh, Elvi, we're looking straight at you, has not been the most compelling music, but we'll see. Um, Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways is coming out in June. And Arca's Kick Eye will be coming out in uh, midsummer. What do we got to round out the year? One of these is coming out here uh, two days from time of recording, which we are looking forward to. Potentially would have made this list, but, you know. Let's see. Lana Del Rey. um, I thought her last record was fine. I didn't think it was the second coming, but I thought it was pretty good. 
she yeah, allegedly is putting out two albums in uh, 2020, I guess one of which is a spoken word album. I don't know how that makes it different than her other records, but okay. Um, Liz Fair putting out her first album of original material in a long time called Silverish. I don't know if that comprises the stuff she recorded with He Who Must Not Be Named um, or like new material. Not sure. I've been curious to hear that. Phoebe Bridgers, we like here. She has a new record coming out this year. And um, I think the one Brown was referring to, Woods, Strange to Explain, comes out Friday. Very, very excited about that. And with that, let's jump into our honorable mentions. Alright, now we're just going to go, before we get to the top 10 list, we're going to go through uh, a few honorable mentions that were just bubbling under. A lot of these could have been like 11, 12, 13, but you know how it goes. So uh, just kick it off. Brian, what do we got? Yeah, I'll kind of reflect that. I This was a really hard year to rank already in terms of my 10 favorite records of the year, and I'm already terrified of what our best albums of the year in December is going to look like because most of these records I'm about to list could have been in my top 10. So uh, kicking things off here, Future Birds threw out a record in the early part of the year called Teamwork that I loved. Love seeing those guys live. This was a really well-produced, fantastic record. Ife Nessa Francis put out Land of No Junction that uh, is beautiful kind of somber singer-songwriter from a Irish singer. Absolutely love that album. The Bonnie Light Horseman, the folk supergroup, put out a record of folk traditional tracks in uh, early January that uh, just kind of blew me away. Keith Jarrett's Munich 2016 concert is uh, really, really long, really ambient, really methodical piano grand piano work that I just couldn't get enough of and Robert High's Black uh, Sarabond is similar to Keith Jarrett's in its focus entirely on the keyboard um, or the grand piano but um, a little bit more atmospheric loved all those what, what do you got to kick off here um, some that I have kick off like I said with um, Pearl Jam's Gigaton it was in their first album in seven years I'm a Pearl Jam fan I think it's great I'm actually um Probably, honestly, I've spent enough time with it. I think it's their best album, top to bottom, since Yield. If you're, uh, if you already enjoy the act of Pearl Jam, you'll find something to like on this record. If you don't like Pearl Jam at this point, nothing's going to change your mind. <laughs> um, album that just came out last week by uh, one of my favorite artists, a guy named Luke Elliott. I loved his album from 2017, Dressed for the Occasion. Proud a new record, The Big Wind. It's elegant and orchestrated, as this stuff tends to be. It's uh, very good. The latest album from Sun Watchers called Oh Yeah. With every successive record, Sun Watchers, while still crazy, they get more and more melodic. And the new record actually has hooks. It's pretty excellent. Um, let's see. Long-running British band Corner Shop, who uh, kind of had a minor hit back in 1997 with Brimful of Asha. They have a new record called England is a Garden. 
And uh, what else? Uh, Califone running a Chicago-based project. Album's called Echo Mine. So keeping this going, I've got uh, Terry Allen's Just Like Moby Dick, a really wild uh, folk traditionalist record that I just could not get enough of, uh, especially in the winter. Moga Disco, Dancing Mogadishu. This is a compilation of Somalian music from 1972 to 1991. Focuses heavily on Mogadishu dance-based music. Uh, this I align with a record from 2016 that I love called Wake You Up, which was about um, uh, Nigerian uh, rock music in the 70s. I just can't get enough of these compilations that just showcase what was happening in Africa in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, especially here with Mogadisco prior to uh, the fall of Mogadishu uh, in 1992. It's just a amazing life and amazing uh, uh, just spirit within the overall record. Uh, Drive-By Truckers, The Unraveling, really dug this record. Uh, definitely been overshadowed by COVID, but this is a great uh, fuck you Trump record that I just can't get enough of. Uh, Squirrel Flower, I Was Born Swimming. Uh, a friend of the pod, Tim Showalter, uh, recommended this to me. Um, I think he's toured with her and uh, wanted to definitely throw it on here because this is one of those records from a young artist, two to three records into her career that absolutely should not have had to deal with the bullshit that's going on with COVID and should have used 2020 as a year to uh, tour, hoping she's able to continue doing that. Uh, and then Jung Jae two parasite original soundtrack uh fantastic film and wild wild soundtrack i couldn't get enough of it okay so going forward i've got destroyer have we met if you're uh, on the dan behar train it was a very very certainly entertaining and groovy and elegant album um i haven't listened to it much recently but i need to go back to it eob being a kind of the pseudonym for Radiohead's guitarist Ed O'Brien, played an album recently called Earth. That was uh, the second to last concert I saw before um, going into lockdown. It's an interesting record. It's when he uh, sometimes he kind of sounds like an unsee jam band. When he keeps it unsee and jam band like, it's a lot of fun. When he kind of goes into more um, acoustic crooner mode, not as good. But a lot of this stuff kind of sounds like U2's pop, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, James Elkington, of course, uh, famous Steve Gunn sideman. Um, I think he was a Jeff Tweedy sideman at one point. British guy based out of Chicago. Um, I think either his second or third record as a frontman, Ever Roving Eye. It's very, very good. I've got um, Swedish death and roll metal band Vellertak. Their uh, latest album, Spleed. If you... Um, Want some crazy blackened rock and roll music? You know where to go. And uh, the Orioles, Young Bang from Britain. Album's called Disco Volador. It kind of captures sort of like uh, rascally early 90s Manchester baggy spirit on um, a very well-produced, very bright pop album. So keeping things rolling here, we got a few others. Like, like we said, this is a fucking great year. Uh, Elkhorn, The Storm Sessions. Um, Elkhorn have appeared on Jeff Conklin's Avant Ghetto Radio Hour as well as Broke Town Podcast. Storm Sessions was just a hypnotic, gorgeous record from January that I just couldn't get enough of in the middle of winter. 
The Third Mind, self-titled. Uh, great cover of Morning Dew on this. Uh, shout out to friend of the pod, John McGar, who recommended this to me. And, um, hey, McGar. And uh, he also recommended me both Dave and my number one record of the year thus far, which we'll share later. Uh, oh, wait, that, wait, that was like from McGar? McGar sent that to me, yeah. Damn. Yeah, man. Really killer stuff. Uh, King Cruel's Man Alive. I was never really into King Cruel, and the second and third spin of this record didn't do a ton for me, I'll be totally honest, but um, I really liked this for about like four or five weeks uh, in the middle of winter, and I just like started to come back to it, and I highly recommend it. I was not a huge uh, The Ooze fan, but uh, I dug Man Alive. Uh, Six Organs of Admittance, Companion Rises. This is a... Another one of those hazy, psychedelic, noisy, jammy records I just can't get enough of. And uh, Katie Pruitt, Expectations. Uh, if you liked uh, Casey Musgraves' um, Golden Hour, you will love Katie Pruitt's Expectations. A lot of like Jenny Lewis on that record as well. Yes. Love that that's record. A, that's a really good album. Yeah. All right, I've just got four more here. Um band called Peel Dream Magazine. I'm guessing named after John Peel. Album's called Agitprop Alterna. They're like uh, early stereo lab, kind of meets My Bloody Valentine. Sort of like a very propulsive shoegazy sound on uh, the famous Slumberland label. I've uh, got Rap Boys, GN. Loved uh, their previous album. The new one is uh, much more like a power poppy coming out here we are type records very good Taurus Silver Tongue because Taurus being the gnome de rock of one Mackenzie Scott I think uh, Silver Tongue is her fourth record and her fourth really really good album in a row and uh, finally Wolf Parade Thin Mind this is uh, their second album since they kind of went on hiatus and got back together they're uh, one of my favorite bands from the mid 2000s blood rock era I think uh, their second album, Thin Mind, I like more than uh, the first one, Cry, 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 when they got back together. So my last picks here are uh, Caribou, Suddenly. I think you would not take me for the Caribou fan here of the pod, but I loved that record, uh, especially in the winter here. Um, I'm cheating a bit here. Bob Dylan's Murder Most Foul single. (laughs) 17 minutes long. I'm calling it a fucking album. Absolutely loved it. And uh, I cannot wait for the full-length record to come out. Uh, Fish, Sigma Oasis. This flirted with my top 10. Um, The last 30 seconds of Shade, I think, are what uh, left it off. A few issues I have with pacing within the record. On the whole, I think it's Fish's best record since Round Room, and it's probably my second or third favorite Fish record of all time, which is why it's here. You might hear about it again. Uh, Imaginary Softwoods, Annual Flowers and Color. Uh, Imaginary Softwoods is um, one of the members of the uh, Cleveland drone trio Emeralds, who released their entire uh, discography on Bandcamp on May 1st, right around the time Imaginary Softwoods, Annual Flowers and Color came out, which is a gorgeous, droney, synthy record. Uh, and then Rose City Band, Summerland, fucking amazing record that would probably be on my top 10 if I had a little bit more time with it before we recorded. 
Absolutely loved it. Horse Lords, a common task. Talked about this in episode 95, 96, I want to say. Whichever episode was the uh, Chicago Jabu. And Blake Mills, Mutable Set. Blake Mills is one of the best producers in indie rock. And uh, I absolutely loved uh, what he was doing uh, from an acoustic guitar, singer-songwriter standpoint in the early part of the decade, of the last decade. This record takes that and just like flips on its head. It's unbelievable. So briefly, I just want to correct myself. Uh, the Rap Boys album, the new one's actually called Printer's Devil. GN was the last one, which I really, really enjoyed. But uh, the new one, the much more lively, brighter, power popular one, is called Printer's Devil. So, sorry, Rap Boys. I got it right the second time. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, go ahead here. We're going to jump into our top 10 albums of 2020 so far. So thank you for hanging with us here through our quick overview of 2020 thus far from a musical and I guess in some cases personal way. Um, We're going to dive deep here into our top 10 albums of 2020 so far. Uh, Close listeners, longtime listeners will note that we always did a top five for the halfway point of the year. But as we've been noting throughout here, we really freaking struggled to just land on five. And uh, so we've decided to expand this to 10. Um, we have some overlap here, which I think at this point in our lives, being so intertwined from a musical standpoint is to be expected. But uh, Dave, you want to kick it off with your number 10 record of uh, 2020 thus far, and we can roll with this here? Sure. My number 10 is uh, Stephen Malkmus. album is called Traditional Techniques. The song we're going to play is called What Kind of Person? So basically, I think at this point, Steve Malcolmus, he's in his early 50s, maybe he's like 51 or 52, and he probably thought to himself, you know what, most of my fans are probably dads in their early 40s, late 30s, who wear cargo shorts and drink double IPAs outdoors, so I'm going to make an album just for them. (laughs) I'm going to make an album for burnt-out dads that want to, like, drink IPAs and wear cargo shorts and maybe... Hit up some of uh, the sense of Amelia from time to time. This is probably the closest he's ever gotten to doing like a straight up like indie jam record. Yeah, I mean it's largely 
acoustic, which Malcolmus generally is not. I know he recorded it in, um, with Chris Funk from The Decemberist, who's a fellow Portland resident, and he used a lot of uh, the acoustic instruments, things like Dobro that, uh, that Chris Funk had in the studio. And it's just kind of laid back and mellow in a way unlike anything else in Malcolmus's career. It's not lazy. Like, he definitely... The songwriting is excellent. He obviously put a lot of work into it, but it kind of has like a languid haze that his other records don't. And I mean, he's been on um, a very prolific streak as of late. I think, what, it was like two years ago, like a year and a half ago, he put out the like Jigs album, Sparkle Hard. Yeah. Um, last year, he put out kind of like a funny, like Kraut Rock, like Glitch album. And I guess he's thinking of like traditional techniques as the last in. Um, a like trilogy comprising those albums so i think of those three this one's probably my favorite but it's uh something you can put on and thoroughly enjoy without having to think about too much which is uh that's often what i look for in my listening these days <laughs> yeah i've got this on my list at number seven and uh i feel really really similar to you i i wrote down here as we we're prepping for this like i'm fairly certain that malcolmus is making music for me and me alone right now but then like i stay you <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> but then i step back and i'm like but there's like you know thousands of other me's out there if he's making this record for all of his fans mm. um i spun this for the first time on a train going into work looking at the rockies i'm like you know an early March morning. And I remember just like sitting there, not really wanting to do the whole work thing that day, not wanting to do the shuffle in and out of the city and just kind of that languid kind of weird, lazy haze kind of descended over me. And I was at peace for a bit of time. And, uh, this record just like has stuck with me all throughout the last three months. It's an IPA on the back porch on a motionless Saturday afternoon. This is what I want to hear right now. There's not a ton that's like necessarily challenging me, but at the same time, there's a lot of really interesting kind of diversions within the record. Like there's a lot of cool little jam segments and instrumental takes that completely change how you hear these songs as they, uh, as they kind of evolve and as they kind of move. And, uh, yeah, I love this record. Zion Man is uh, one of my favorite songs of the year thus far. And yeah, what uh, what did you say we're gonna play? What kind of person? Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's play. What kind of person? Off of uh, Dave's number ten, my number seven. Stephen Malcolmus, traditional techniques. <laughs>
right. So my number 10 record is um, kind of a record that ties into what I was saying earlier from a overall, what have I learned over the last year? And it was Jeff Parker's Sweet for Max Brown. Uh, Jeff Parker is the guitarist from the band Tortoise. Uh, Isotope 217. Uh, yeah. Chicago, like, underground duo, I think. Yes. Yeah, he does a ton of really great work within the Chicago jazz uh, experimental scene. He lives in L.A. now, however. But this record fuses hypnotic late-night jazz with hip-hop, with ambient, with experimental, and just the wildest riffs. I can't totally figure this record out, but I love the places it takes my head. This is uh, one of those records that I don't necessarily think I would have – dive deep into this record in years past. But uh, I remember rediscovering, I'd always kind of had Tortoise as like a periphery band for me. And then through a number of events, uh, our recording last year with Rob Mitchum on the Storage Jam episode, as well as um, really diving deep into TNT, one of my favorite records that uh, I've listened to just like on a, nonstop basis over the last year. Jeff Parker's just guitar work has just like buried itself in my head. You talk about a freaking earworm and, uh, I just love where this record goes. It's really wild. There's samples all over the place. There's weird kind of late night hypnotic jazz moments everywhere. There's guitar freakouts just has kind of everything I'm looking for. So let's go ahead here. We're going to play after the rain off of Jeff Parker's Sweet for Max Brown, my number 10 album of the year. Thank you. 
right, moving up the ladder, I've got uh, my number nine album so far. A band uh, called Pacific Range. I think this is their debut studio album called High Up on the Mountain. And the song I'm going to play from is called Need a Little Rain. So these guys are uh, they're Californian, but if I had to describe their sound, I would say the Almond Brothers songs that like Dickie Betts sings. I mean, like Ramblin' Man, Blue Sky, just like laid back, virtuosic, virtuosic country rock filtered through California. Obviously, because the Almonds are from Macon, Georgia. These guys are more like Laurel Canyon in uh, Laurel Canyon style, like California hippies. Uh, the record was produced by Dan Horn, who's kind of um, been like an in-demand guy for this sort of music lately. I know uh, he plays in the band Grateful Shred. I think he was a sideman uh, with the Beachwood Sparks. He played with the late, great Neil Castle. Um, he did some work with the band Mapache, who I think also feature on this album on one song. But I can't tell you any of the dudes that are in Pacific Range, almost because it's kind of like like an anonymously good brand of 70s almonds like rock and roll. It's just very well produced. It goes down easy. It doesn't ask that much of you. I think um, there's almost kind of like a pronounced, we're like fake cowboy vibe to it. There's one song called like Swap Me where they talk about going to get like a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. And, you know, it kind of has like a Wild West vibe to it. But uh, yeah. Definitely, if you like the almonds and you like weird California and that sounds at all appealing, you could definitely enjoy a High Up on the Mountain by Pacific Range. My number nine record here 
is uh, the fifth record from Kate Crutchfeld, otherwise known as Waxahachi. The record is St. Cloud, and we're going to play the second track off the album, Can't Do Much. Um, this record I spoke about a couple episodes ago. I can't remember exactly what, uh, which, which uh, episode I talked about it, but this focuses heavily on her battles with sobriety and getting sober in 2017. Like much of Crutchfeld's work, it is gorgeous and melodic and surprising all at once. Like her voice works so well, weaving in and out of her very, and I say this in a completely complimentary way, like a very, her very like standard type of, um, uh, kind of rhythms and overall chord progressions and changes. Like there's a lot of expected moments musically that happen that I just absolutely love. It's very warm. It's very engaging. It's very, uh, focused on this like Americana sound, but then her voice taken on its own. It's very, high and nasally and a little bit wiry. It doesn't sound like it would fit this music, but like it wraps itself around the music in such a cool way. And I just can't stop listening to her, uh, her songwriting's very witty, very on point. Like there's always like a turn of phrase within her songs. Um, this record sounds to me like she's been in a relationship with one of my favorite songwriters kevin morby for i think the better part of the last year or two this sounds like a marriage between their uh overall styles of this like kind of woodsy uh middle america type of approach that you get from kevin morby with her coming from rural alabama and her just having this very unique perspective on the world i cannot get enough of this record i listened to it while i was on a long drive through the mountains with my kid over the weekend and um it just, it sounds warm. It sounds embracing, but it also, there's this like roughness to it that just kind of like gnaws at me. And my head just continuously is like spinning around lyrically what she's singing about, as well as like where the fusion is between her voice and her, and her, um, overall melodies. So I hope what I've said sounds like a compliment for this record. Cause I can't tell you how much, like I absolutely love this record in all the ways that like it should. And also it shouldn't work. It's kind of how I feel in a lot of cases about Wax Hachi's overall career. Um, I just, I, re- I recommend this record highly St. Cloud, uh, can't do much by Waxahachi. Give it to you 
it don't matter why. I like the Waxahachie record a lot. Didn't make my top 10, but it's it's really good. Don't worry, you were plenty complimentary and you got the point across. People uh, people should definitely listen to that record. So, my number eight album is an album I'm guessing many of our listeners are pretty familiar with at this point. Fish, Sigma Oasis. Let's play the title track, Sigma Oasis. Um, I love this album. I mean, I know the point of Beyond the Pond is to kind of get you to listen to less fish, but we're huge fish fans, and I truly believe that Sigma Oasis is the best fish album in 22 years. I think it's their best album from Story of the Ghost. I'm not even sure it's that close. I know uh, Brian always rides very hard for Round Room. Mm-hmm. I like Round Room a lot, but I just think Sigma Oasis, the performance, the production, the heart, it's... It's far better than any band that's been around as long as Fish has, like, it's far better than it has any right to be. It's an incredible fucking album. Yeah, the so, fact um, that they're still pushing this hard for a great record. Yeah. While when they've already, like, proven everything that they ever need to do from a live standpoint, the fact that they're still dedicated. New producers, hey, let's bring a song back that we debuted nine years ago that's never been mm. on an album. Let's leave a bunch of songs off this record that we just debuted a year ago. I fucking love the approach to this record, and I totally, I hear you, man. It's great. Yeah. I might have tried to get Set Your Soul Free on there. I can understand why they didn't. Maybe it just didn't fit. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of quarantine experiences, it seemed like a long time ago. But, I mean, on that April 1st, when they, they premiered the album on television, I was, like, sitting there watching it. I was... I was like sobbing. I was like happy. It was uh, <laughs> sobbing happy tears. So yeah, that's my number eight. Nice album, boys. say that Sigma Oasis Everything's Right Sigma Oasis and Thread are three of my mo- my favorite tracks of the entire year 
Even my wife loves Sigma Ways. She likes that song. I play that. She always says, I'll admit, this is a really good song. Trey's man, his his voice is fantastic on it. Yes. Rolling away. So my number eight is um an album that is very much in the indie jam lineage. Uh Dave and I have a ongoing debate about this record. Um it may appear here at this point in time. That is real estate's the main thing. My selling point for this record is Atlas was the greatest, is the greatest, was the greatest Sunday afternoon dad rock, crack beer, sit down, throw baseball on, turn the volume down, throw this record on, turn the volume mm. up album of the 2010s add since and you suddenly have this amazing Sunday morning record I can't get enough of this album I love what real estate does and I love the addition of keyboards here and the focus heavily on keyboards within this record it's really dreamy it's really hazy the songs all kind of blend together real estate doesn't write with a lot of dynamics and their songs never tend to like differentiate themselves too much from each other, but it doesn't really matter because it's one of those uh, album or it's one of those bands that you just kind of have to listen to their albums like in full. And uh, I find myself just coming back to this record in the morning, on sunny days when I finish mowing the lawn. I even listened to it when I was hiking about a week and a half ago, just threw it in my pocket, had it going. It was just like this perfect little like filtering in and out while I was walking and hearing the birds off in the distance and the trees swaying and dig this record. I dig what real estate does. What do you think, Dave? I love Atlas and I think Atlas is the best real estate album. I need to give, um, the real thing more of a chance. I did listen to it a few times. I thought the synths got in the way. I, I, I thought, the production was a bit overcooked and kind of like the emphasis on synthesizers sort of got in the way of my enjoyment of the album. But um, I'll give it another chance. I don't think Atlas is ever going to be uh, dethroned as my favorite and the best real estate album. No, I, mean, I, I thought agree. that was kind of the peak of their early sound. So not as enamored with this as you are, but I'm willing to uh, keep an open mind and keep trying I'm going to keep trying on you because I know that like the moment it clicks, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's 1130 on a Sunday and I just had the main thing on and uh, everything is like kind of just fading away. Nice colors are coming out. Cup of coffee starts kind of dancing in front of me. You know, it's going to be a good moment for you. I'm excited for it. What's in your coffee that your cup of coffee starts dancing in front of you? (laughs) <laughs> we'll talk about that off record. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's go ahead here. We're going to listen to November off of the main thing by real estate. Oh, 
Okay, so for my number seven, I have an album that's made quite a splash in the critic world. You certainly, you can't throw a rock without hitting some critic or someone who has an opinion on this record to the point where it was so ravenously received that it almost felt like an act of bravery to write like an article as like to why I don't understand this record. This is uh, Fetch the Bowl Cutters by Fiona Apple. The song we're going to play is Relay. And I like this record very much. This is one of those albums I I put it on and within like kind of like the first minute and 30 seconds of the first song, I was like, okay, I'm into this. I see what she's doing. I see she's going with like a clattering type of percussion, still well-produced, still crisp, and yet kind of somehow ramshackle at the same time. But she has a way with words. It's just like the writing is elliptical and fascinating. Like I'm not never been a huge lyrics guy. I've always been more on melody and beats. I mean, look, my favorite band is Fish. So <laughs> it's like the rhinothropic microgaze. Although, obviously, Fish's lyrics have like developed in new and different ways. But I'm just listening to the Fiona record and thinking, like, wow, did she just really say that? That's like Hurricane Gloria in Excelsis Deo. That's like a heck of a couplet. I mean, just... The way that the words tumble out of her mouth with the clattering percussion and her piano playing, and it's very theatrical, and um, certainly some of the hype behind the record is that she puts out so few records. I think she's put out like five albums since her debut album in 1996. Whenever like a new Fiona record comes out, it's, you know, kind of like, I guess like the band Tool, I guess what, they waited like 13 years for the record, so not quite as extreme, but it's, when a Fiona record comes out, it's an event. And just, I listened to this one enough that I'm very impressed by the lyrics and very impressed by the rhythms. And, you know, I could definitely see how people can get into it as much as they have been. You got this on your list too, right, Brian? Yeah, this is uh, number six on my list. So mm. I agree with everything you're saying. And I, I think I am more of a lyrics guy. I, I tend to, you know, really appreciate like well-crafted, well-written songwriting. But um, I think the thing that I find so fascinating about this record more than anything is the, it's one of those albums that can sound so very personal and so very historic all at the same time. And what I mean by that is like, so this got the first 10 out of 10 rating on Pitchfork since Kanye West, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy in November of 2010 that in of itself just seems like a very significant and important moment in that you think back to where we were from a society, from a cultural standpoint in 2010. And the fact that we were all heaping the same types of praise and attention and adulation on Kanye West, whose record was basically about like the ego of man in all of his flaws and all of his successes. And here we have this, record that was written in many cases, like in a response to the Brett Kavanaugh hearings from a still very young woman, 42 years old, I think is how old she is at this point in time, um, whose career has been battered around by, you know, people who have misunderstood what she's been trying to say, who have taken umbrage with her, uh, kind of anti consumerism, anti big entertainment, big media type of stances even as like a raw talent within the industry. Like the fact that she's celebrated in the same way that Kanye West was 10 years ago feels like progress for me. And it feels like a huge shift of tide within the overall music industry. Uh, that said, 
I loved my beautiful dark twist fantasy and Kanye has made great music, but I just, I really love what this record stands for from a larger historical standpoint in terms of where we're moving and what our acceptance is, uh, from a larger cultural standpoint musically. But then personally, I listen to this record and I just like, I feel like I'm in her head and I feel like I'm in her house and I feel Mm. like I'm you know, experiencing many of the same thoughts and feelings that she has and anger that she is. And there's so much that I just go back and forth through my head just feels like it's spinning when I listen to this record in the ways that like a true classic, a true Paramount record is supposed to make you feel. And who among us at this point hasn't said, fetch the bolt cutters. I want out. I want to get out of this. Right, right. I mean, it's coming at a time when everyone is, everyone is cooped up. Everyone wants to get the F out. And I mean, the album kind of feels like bursting out of your shell, just like ideas, flailing limbs, pianos, pounding. It's kind of the escape that everyone needs and wants at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fitting for the time in more ways than one. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to play relay. Is that right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. This is my favorite track off the whole record. And, um, Let's uh let's go ahead and hit it right now. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Our resent you for being raised right. Our resent you for being tall. Our resent you for never getting any. I'll resent you for having each other I'll resent you for being so sure I'll resent you presenting your life Like a fucking propaganda brochure And I see that you keep trying to fade me And I love to get up in your face But I know if I hate you for hating me I will have entered the endless race Evil is a real life spark When the one who's burned turns to pass the torch Evil is a real life spark Turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. All right, so going forward, recall that Brian's number seven was uh, Machmas Traditional Techniques, which you already discussed. So getting to six, my number six album, I think it came out maybe the second week of January. I raved about it back then, still a big fan. Uh, the self-titled debut from the project, Bonnie Light Horseman. And the song we're going to listen to is Roving. So, of course, this is, uh, I guess, the folk supergroup, I guess you could say, of Eric D. Johnson from the Fruit Bats, Anias Mitchell, and uh, the producer, Josh Kaufman. This is um, their reinterpretations of, um, I guess, a bunch of old classic British folk songs that have been interpreted many many times before 
it's just an album that's kind of a perfect melange of their voices. It's a perfect production. It's just, I don't have a ton to say about it other than the fact that it's just so well done and so incredibly pleasing to the ear. And Kaufman uses a lot of the similar production techniques that he used back in 2016 when he produced and helmed um, Bob Weir's excellent, excellent uh, Blue Mountain record. So I listened to this album a ton when it first came out. It kind of has like sort of like a gray morning, gray pall, like pleasant melancholy hang over it. I admit I haven't gone back to it recently, but um, only because I've been trying to do somewhat more uplifting music, more like comforting as opposed to, you know, stuff not so much engineered to make you feel bad, but, you know, less, less upbeat. And it's not a what it lacks in being upbeat. It's very well produced. The voices, they just blend into each other. And of course, it's interesting because uh, Anais Mitchell, back in 2010, she released the album Hades Town, which has since been made into a Broadway smash. I think it won um, at the most recent Tony Awards for uh, the best Broadway musical of the year. I know that uh, Trey Anastasio is a fan, but it's interesting to hear her. Uh, harmonizing and probably singing lead on most of these songs here. So just for a, a perfectly produced, beautiful slice of British folk music, definitely check out Bonnie Lee Horseman. Let's listen to uh, the song Roving. Thank you for that Bonnie Light Horseman. That um, record's a fucking bell. Yes. So it's a bell. Goddamn clear. I remember when I turned it on for the first time, I was like, just play a wrong note. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There aren't any. No. There's no wrong notes in the entire record. It's amazing. It's beautiful. 
Um, all right, number five is a very personal record, I would say, for both of us, because this is one of our close friends of the pod. I would say one of our close friends in general, uh, Mr. Ryan Jewell, Moss's TV son. Mm. This is both of our number fives. Um, Ryan Jewell, if you don't know, probably means you haven't listened to this podcast much. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, he's played drums on literally everything that we've loved over the last year. And uh, he finally gets to release this project that he's been laboring over for five years. It's unbelievable. So many ideas, so many layers here. This record is like experimental and poppy like that Venn diagram of crazy experimental music and really well-crafted pop songs all just like meet in the center here on this album where there's killer riffs, there's killer ideas that like sparkle all around in such mind blowing ways. But then there's like great verse chorus, verse co- chorus moments. I absolutely love this record. It all just works. MSR is my summer jam. And uh, when I throw this record on, it's like I'm immersing myself in the head of Mr. Ryan Jewell, which is a wonderful, positive, deeply insightful, very creative mind that uh, I cannot stop listening to. What are your thoughts, Dave? Everything you just said. This is a this is a great little record. The the title track, TV Sun. I mean that song is just this awesome, big hearted, B major mixolydian, almost like fire on the mountain type song. Uh, the song MSR that you describe. We're gonna play. That sounds like Modern Lovers Roadrunner as like a kraut rock song. I mean, there's just like fun psychedelic nods, there's nods to can, there's stuff that sounds like Ariel Pink, there's like some German Cosmic. Like you said, it's like a brain dump. It's just a roving musical mind of Ryan Jewell just spilling it all out there. And it's just, it overflows with ideas and yet it never feels self-indulgent. It's just, uh, it's a great little record. And I just hope that it's, people notice it even though they're stuck indoors. Yeah. And when in fact this would be something Awesome to blast at a barbecue, dude. Right. <laughs> uh, like you, you speak about like how it's a brain dump, but there's no indulgence. I, I, I would argue there's one song of like true indulgence, but it works so well. It's the last song on the record. Oh, the last song. Sure. You can't fall off the mountain, which I remember the first time I listened to this, I was at work. I was just like going through emails that we had gotten this record. We were doing a episode with Ryan. I threw it on. I had it on, you know, kind of in the background while I was working, but like dipping in and out of it at from time to time. And that song came on and it just like kept going and it's this hypnotic swirl. And as I was listening, I was like, I have to fucking listen to this record all over again. Like whatever just happened, I have to hear exactly what led to this. And I've been doing that the entire spring. It's been awesome. All right, let's go ahead and we're going to play MSR. Oh, 
Okay. My number four record. Number four album is definitely an album which scratches a certain portion of my brain that I'm not sure Brian shares, but that's okay. The album is called Porridge Radio. No, well, I'm sorry. The band, the band is called Porridge Radio. The album is called Every Bad. And the song which we're going to play is the single called Sweet. This is a band fronted by uh, Dana Margolin, and she kind of, to me, almost sounds like a female Robert Smith. This is a dose of really gothic, angsty, artsy, like British rock and roll, kind of uh, very much in the vein of like The Cure, very much in the vein of uh, uh, like early PJ Harvey records. Certainly Nick Cave. I realize he's Australian, but I think most people think he's British. I know that uh, he lives in England. Kind of like the stuff that you'd expect to see on like the Peaky Blinders soundtrack. I mean, these are songs about like like things like body image and like drug abuse and just being born confused. Just like very catchy, very goth, very melodramatic. There's chiming guitars, there's post-punk bass, and I mean Dana Margolin, she's just incredible front woman. Just the like levels of emotion that she pours into these songs. I mean, some of this angst you're even coming up against like uh like holy bible era manic street preachers which if you know what that is you know what i'm talking about but anyone who misses kind of like um the earlier pj harvey stuff or just wants some really dramatic extremely british gothy rock and roll this uh album is quite the godsend i know side a is kind of more of like uh the angsty poppy almost like dance punk you know one part, uh, the song Long is almost like a dance punk song. Side B is a little more of uh, the somber, mellow, almost like shoegazy aspects. But it's just uh, top to bottom. It's a fascinating record, and it just scratches an itch in my brain that I've had for a long time. So let's listen to uh, Sweet by Porridge Radio. Sometimes I am just a child Writing letters to myself Wishing out loud you were dead And then taking it back And I used to be ashamed Until I learned I love the game And I slowly move away From everything I knew about me Gave me this pen She said it lights up when you press it And are you still so depressed And I like it that you need me You will like me when you meet me You will like me when you meet me You will like me when you meet me You might even fall in love So my number four is from an artist that we love dearly, a person that we really dig. Um, probably going to have this guy on the podcast at some point. Uh, he's a big fish fan. I think he was at it, and I think he was at the Lemon Wheel, and uh, he makes. I, th- I think he worked at it. Did he? Didn't he? Didn't he tell he, us that he worked at like the Ben and Jerry stand at it? 
Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. He's, <laughs> he grew up like 20 miles away from limestone and, uh, his music just sounds like, uh, what I imagine Northern Maine looks like on like a late summer's evening. And that is Matt LaJoy with the record everlasting spring. And I'm going to go ahead and play a bit of the title track off it with a fair warning. It's like a 17 minute long song. So I highly encourage if you dig this segment, go and buy this record on Bandcamp. Um, Matt LaJoy's Center in the Fringe was one of our favorite discoveries and surprises last year. I still remember it was like middle of January, maybe early February. I just moved into my new house. I was getting stuff set up in my kitchen. It was on a Sunday night, like eight o'clock. I had to take my dog for one more walk. Dave sent me this record, said, you have to listen to it. And I walked around through my neighborhood, just like a little buzzed. And, uh, I was like, holy shit, I feel like I'm falling into a spider web right now. Um, this record, Everlasting Spring, takes the center of the fringe brilliance and adds gloss to it and warmth and sunshine and the like dew of grass in early spring, mid-spring. This deserves a non-quarantine spring to fully understand and embrace. But yeah. man... Does it fake being outdoors in your mind? Like I put this record on and I'm immediately just in a field. Sun is on, cool little breeze. You hear the trees swaying, birds out in the distance, smell flowers. Just like lying in a field, just like no worries, happy as all hell. It's like mind kind of churning and falling in on itself. I cannot get enough of this record. This is up there for me with like the real estate record as well as the Moss's record, as well as um, a couple others from this year that I just have been brought, I brought hiking with me. I just fall into it mentally, emotionally. It's, it's fantastic stuff, isn't it? Yeah. The only reason this record wasn't in my top 10 is I think I knew it was going to be in yours. So I have an opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. It's like everything you said, it kind of takes the stuff from the center and the fringe and it adds a little gloss, I think a little synth to it. It's just kind of like a more perfected version of what was already pretty perfect. Yeah. Um, if you like this, I would encourage a listener to uh, go on Bandcamp, check out the Flower Room label, which yes. I'm pretty sure is just Matt LaJoy and um, his significant other, Ash. I think it's just kind of like a clearinghouse for their work. Everything they put out is great. Everything is varied. It's um, all of it's kind of in this similar laid back, very mellow, very intricate vein. It's all really good stuff. I would certainly recommend you check out Flower Room on Bandcamp and uh, certainly throw some ducats their way. But yeah, this is a, a darling record. It's actually, it holds a place in my heart because um. There's a coffee shop near me in my neighborhood called Little Canal. I used to go to once a week every morning because they had great coffee, a great egg sandwich. They played phenomenal music. And the last time I was there before they had the shutdown before the pandemic, the guy, the barista said, like, Dave, what do you want to hear? I said, all right, put on um, this album Everlasting Spring by this guy, Matt LaJoy. So he put it on and he said, wow, this is I'm loving this because I'm like still stoned from this morning. <laughs> there you go so uh yeah great record it's a buzz man i love this record i know that you guys will too if you have not yet listened to it so um let's listen to a little bit of everlasting spring 
a self-titled track or a title track off of Matt LaJoy's Everlasting Spring, my number four record of 2020. Okay, top three, getting there. Top three, we've come a long way. My number three, only uh, this album has been out for less than a week, Crash in the Citadel. This is the Rose City Band, which is the gnome de rock of uh, one Ripley Johnson, my spirit animal. Album is called Summer Long. The song I'm going to play off of it is called Reno Shuffle. So, basically all you need to know about the Rose City Band is if you kind of want to paraphrase Sonic Youth and Expressway to my skull, it's the Rose City Band. This is just, I like everything that Ripley Johnson does. I love Wooden Ships. I love uh, the band he has with his wife, Moon Duo. It's all kind of variations on a theme. It's all sort of variations. uh, Obviously, Wooden Ships is sort of like the more Velvet Underground-y, Oregon Drone Rock and Roll, Moon Duo is more of the Krat Rock, and the Rose City Band of the three is definitely the most Chuglin, definitely the most Grateful Dead, the most which sounds like pure indie jam. And this is, I think, is it nine songs or ten songs? Nine? I think it's nine songs. Nine songs. The last two songs, they segue into each other in the track list, and there's even one of like the segue arrows. Clearly, he's in on the joke. Um... It's just there's no better record for driving a car with the windows down, for grilling meats, for being outdoors. It's just mellow. It's perfect. But he takes it seriously. I mean, compared to the last 
Rose City Band album, which I also love. This one was certainly better produced. I mean, it was mixed by uh, John McIntyre at uh, Soma Studios in Chicago, and he's added things to the mix, like there's pedal steel. I mean, his vocals, although still kind of his trademark mellow whisper, are slightly higher in the mix to the point where you can actually understand some lyrics. It's just everything that made the first record great, just more of it and clearer of it. And if there's one downside is that its album's only 40 minutes, I could easily listen to 75 minutes of this. I think when it came out last week, and I think me and my wife listened to it like seven times, <laughs> and she doesn't necessarily love the same music I love. I'm like slowly turning her into uh, a Jerry Garcia band fan, certainly. Um, but I put on like a Neil Young record, and she told me like, turn this off. Why don't we listen to the Rose City Band? Put that on instead. <laughs> I said, okay. That's like the eighth time we played it, but if you want, I'll play it again. I've got no problem with that. But for like... Well-produced, chugling, pleasant rock and roll. Thy name is Ripley Johnson, and holy shit, thy name is Rose City Band. If Hey, Ripley, if you ever want to come on the podcast, dude, open invitation. Love to talk to you. We can both talk about growing up in Connecticut. So uh, let's listen to Reno Shuffle by Rose City Band. Yeah, unsurprisingly, I love that Rose City Band album as well. Um, I have a solution for you, though. If you want okay. Summer Long to be 75 minutes, <laughs> listen, I know you go with this. just listen to the self-titled right into Summer Long, just over and over and over again. It's the or best. Put on the last Wooden Ships album directly after it. That, too. I mean, like, the music that Ripley Johnson makes. He's kind of, like, grown older with his fan base. Like, the last few... The last two Wooden Ships albums, like, the first Wooden Ships was more of, like, noisier velvets. He's, like, mellowed with age. I'm cool with that. Yeah, and, you know, there's a lot of, like, <clears throat> bridges from one project to another. Like, I have the Moon Duo record from last year that I absolutely loved on vinyl. Oh, God, yeah. Stars of the Light. And it absolutely, like, it's there's, there's a clear path from there to Rose City to wooden ships that doesn't sound overused. Somehow he's taking a larger structure and a larger kind of musical idea and found all the little nooks and crannies and pathways within it. I, I cannot get enough of it, but um, my number three is, was my initial favorite record of the year, but has been since replaced 
but I still love it. Still love it a lot. This is John Moreland's LP five. Um, I don't even know where to start. Like this record just hits you like a fucking ton of bricks, man. Like I throw this record on and I just start feeling things. And I start thinking about small towns I've driven through and I start thinking about the news, but not necessarily in like an overwhelming way, just in kind of like a bummed out, like what the fuck is going on in this country type of way. I don't think any record, and I mean this honestly, uh, I don't think any record showcases Trump era insanity from the middle better than John Moreland's LP five. This record sounds like a small town in Kansas or Oklahoma or Nebraska that was struggling before Trump and is struggling harder after Trump and doesn't know how to change what it's doing and still is so angry and frustrated and doesn't feel like anyone is listening to it. And I just, I can't get enough of it. There's so much empathy that comes out of this record. And it's also cool because he's not like judgmental about it. Totally. Right. This is not a hillbilly elegy. <clears throat> No. This is like, I grew up here. This is where I'm from. This is what my mind is uh, focused on. But also, you know, you can tell John Moreland's been around and left where he grew up in, in, in a very clear way because he's so uh, concise and so detailed at the same time of, his, of what he's describing. Um, what a freaking voice as well. I mean, this is a time-honored tradition. Guitar amazing words, a voice that like will just break your heart the second you hear him. And then the blue collar world, like this is what Springsteen was doing with Nebraska. This is what like, uh, you know, Neil Young was doing, um, with, you know, stuff he was doing around like farm aid. This is what like country music has been doing in like its best forms. Like when you get, there's something about a, white singer songwriter from the middle of the country who is singing about people that when they walk outside, they don't see diversity. They think of themselves like on top of the entire food chain on top of the entire world in terms of their beliefs, in terms of where they live. And yet they have it really fucking hard. And he sings from this perspective in a way that like, I just can't stop thinking about. And it reminds me of this trip I took up to central Wyoming last year when I just, I felt like I saw Trump in America with very empathetic eyes in a way that I just like, it's very hard to do. It's really fucking hard to do as someone from my perspective. And this record does that in such a brilliant way. I love John Moreland's LP five. And um, we're going to go ahead here and uh, we're going to listen to, uh, the track, I'm Learning How to Tell Myself the Truth, which is probably the best song title of the entire year. Congratulations on your book Your sharp-toned wit had me shook Thought about trying a little too long Give it up now, the good Lord's gone But we could put a record on We could dance on this shattered glass till dawn We could try to make it disappear 
Okay, I uh, too very much like that John Moreland record. It kind of threw me for a loop at first because the production is so much more fleshed out than his prior albums. He uses like a little synth, a little drum machine. At first I thought it took away, then I realized that kind of it's him stretching out sonically while still maintaining uh, the songwriting and the voice. My God, his voice that uh, drew me to him in the past. So I agree that is a fantastic record. So my number two that I've been listening to quite a bit lately whenever I can get out, which is often to do mundane things like do laundry or uh, walk down the street to get coffee, the few moments I have to myself, is an album from a band I like a lot called Elder. And their latest album is called Omens. And we're going to listen to part of the title track being Omens. And all the songs in this album are long. I think there's like five songs. It's like 55 minutes. There are masters of the long song. So if you recall, I really, really loved an EP they put out last year called um, The Golden Silver Sessions. It had three songs, kind of like a very exploring their more space rock, kraut rock, like German Kajmi side. And uh, this album... It expands on that, but it also kind of combines it with more of uh, the prog metal, which they have been doing in the past. So this band, kind of when Elder started out, um, they were seen more as like a little heavier, a little more like doom metal, a little more um, gruff. And kind of with each album, they've gotten a little more melodic. They've kind of toned down the more heavy aspects in favor of just becoming a really kick-ass heavy prog rock band. I mean, this is... What they've gone and made is basically like a classic 70s Bongwater record. This is like a blacklight, divvy up the Wii with your friends on the album sleeve record akin to something like Rush's Farewell to Kings, Yes is Close to the Edge, Pink Floyd's Metal, and I mean, these guys could really murder Echoes. That's in their wheelhouse. It's just um, the front man, who I think also does most of the composition, Nick DeSalvo. He's an incredible guitarist, and these songs are definitely painstakingly composed, many different disparate parts put together, nothing feels out of place, and when things just start getting a little too quiet, a little too melodic, you can always be counting on just when you might be nodding off, something will, a huge heavy hook will bring you back. I know, um, I just read a recent interview with uh, their second guitarist slash keyboard player, Michael Risberg, who I think he said that he's like seen 70 Fish shows, and one of his favorite albums of all time is the uh, Sicket Disc. So, Mike, if you ever <laughs> want to come on Beyond the Pond and talk about Fish and the Sicket Disc and how it relates to Elder, you got an open invitation yeah, because uh, your band just put out a fucking kick ass album. So, uh, if you're a fan of Prague, that really stretches out and expands your mind while completely rocking and, uh, completely force you to look at your blacklight posters and stare at the tiny red dot on your stereo until you see something really cool. Definitely check out Elder's Omens. It's uh, an elegant, 
rock and roll album that is uh, very much in my wheelhouse. record i'm going to talk about i have probably listened to at least four times a week since it came out i cannot get enough of it the next three song we're going to play is the opening track bloom or at least part of it because it's 20 freaking minutes so i've said this before on the pod and i'll just quickly say it again the next unfold their record from 2017 completely changed my mind it was my introduction to the band and you know, three or four weeks before, uh, we launched this podcast like that. I didn't, I never thought when we launched this podcast that we were going to circle back around and talk so much about bands that jam because part of the whole point was for like, I just wanted to keep getting away from that. And the last like three years, I've just become so enamored with how do you write a song or how do you perform a song that's 20 plus minutes long that doesn't fall into the Mixolydian scale, just like <laughs> waka 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 funk, and some segue into a shitty pop song that everybody knows, but nobody really listens to. But hey, it's fucking hilarious that these guys are playing, I don't know, Wanted Dead or Alive <laughs> or something shitty like that. You know what I mean? Like, ah, uh, what a subtweet. All right. <laughs> 
the next showed me that you didn't have to do that and you could fucking jam. And it has like, it cracked my fucking brain open and has taken me down so many weird offshoots and weird pathways that I'm so grateful for. And this record is now the third that I've like listened to as a current fan of the band body came out in 2018. That's one track over 50 minutes. This is my favorite thing I've heard from them thus far. Um, the opening track bloom is this like very slow, elegant, gorgeous piano acoustic stand-up bass that just like plot along with a drum beat. That's like, it's just like you're fucking driving at 90 miles an hour on the, on the highway. And yet you have this music that just like keeps you rolling at a very slow pace over your head. I can't get enough of it. I'm immersed in it. It, it's just such a head trip, man. I, I love this record so much. I love what the next do. I love that a band this deep into their career, they're like 30 years into their career are still this creative. Um, and are putting out records like this. And I'll say, you know, I've, I've long been a believer that fish would do themselves real good by trying to just record a record that showcased their improvisational skills. I would love to hear like every third record from fish just be like a, Hey, we're going to throw out this idea that we have. It's why I love the sick disc. It's why I love the Victor disc and something like this from the next, like has always showed me that it's possible. They could do this. That said, um, I love this record. I love what the next do. Let's go ahead here. Listen to a little bit of bloom off of their 2020 album three. All right, 
So we've reached number one. And... This is historical. Something's happening for the first time in history. Yeah, so we've recorded... I want to say 11 top album episodes. If you take in our top albums of the first half of 2017, 2018 top albums of the years of the three years we've been doing this podcast, plus albums of the decade, plus all the album lists that we did for the 2010s. And never once have we had the same favorite number one record, but that all changes here. Hmm. And I want to give a big shout out to dear friend of the pod, John McGar, who passed this record to me in early March and I threw it on. I did a quick search for it and saw that one of our favorite writers and former guest of the pod, Grayson Haver Curran, fantastic writer, wrote a review about the record. And um, I always loved the way that he kind of can showcase and unearth thoughts about music that I am really interested in through his writing. And I think I passed it to you then. And we have been listening to this record kind of in tandem for the last eight weeks. Yeah, I think I might have first heard a song on Jeff Conklin's Avant Getter that I enjoyed. But I was half asleep when I heard it because that show runs late. And then I read Grayson's review of it. And he was, spoke very highly of it. I think it was like a 7.9 Pitchfork review. And this sounds like it was in my wheelhouse. And then I listened to it. And I said, oh, this is definitely in my wheelhouse. And I think you, like, maybe the same day you sent me a photo of it, I wrote back, like, yeah, once through. This is great. And ever since then, it grew on me like a weed. And one of those records that kind of has a little of everything we're looking for. Yeah. A little bit of Richard Thompson, English folk. Little bit of um, Wilco doing spiders, a little bit of Crazy Horse Jam, uh, even some Fleet Foxes, just like kind of a melange of our brains put together in an excellently well written, excellently produced album. Like, I've gone back and listened to some of um, the older Arboretum records. I think this is their seventh album. And it may have taken them like seven records to get it totally right. Like, I know some of the older records. Certainly, there's several good songs. I know the one I kind of gravitated to was one from 2013 called Coming Out of the Fog, which was a little heavier, a little more on like the Zuma crazy horse tip, whereas uh, this one, Let It All In, is more English folky. But it's just, it has everything that we look for in an album in an excellently produced and excellently written package, and it's pleasing to the ear, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All those things you said, um, if we haven't said the album title, it's Arboretum's Let It All In. Uh, this is a record that, um, yeah, like what I was saying earlier in terms of where my interests are at this point in time, where what I want to hear musically and kind of a record that can like take me to a lot of different places, but still have like a center. Uh, this record really does that for me. And I've listened to this record on... I've I've really taken to taking long drives since quarantine began. It's one thing that I have the benefit of that unfortunately you don't being living on Manhattan Island. I took some long drives this past weekend actually. I like drove down to the Rockaways and drove back without ever getting out of the car. <laughs> That's a good thing. 
It's a good thing. I, I've been doing that since March and this record has soundtracked a lot of those drives. And, uh, I found this really cool, like hour and a half long loop that I can take up into the mountains and back to Arvada. And, uh, this record just soundtracked that. And, um, it's my escape from quarantine a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, also another influence I forgot to mention was in one song, uh, the song called Buffeted by Wind, maybe my favorite song on the album. The guitars sound a lot like Fables of the Reconstruction Era R.E.M., just like that jangly southern goth that uh, Fairport Convention's producer Joe Boyd really um, got out of. I think actually not producer, he was in Fairport Convention, Joe Boyd. He produced uh, Fables of the Reconstruction, R.E.M.'s third album. And I heard a lot of that in... Um, in Arboretum. But yeah, just like Brian was saying, top to bottom, hits all of our zones like a pinball in, in a pinball machine. So I think, what are we going to play off this record? Let's do How Deep It Goes. Album okay. Opener is such a fantastic song. Yes, fantastic song, fantastic guitar solo, courtesy of uh, the front man, Dave Human. I think his name is, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I think he got his start as... Uh, Will Oldham's backup guitarist, which makes complete sense. Yeah. If you, yeah. Very much so. So let's listen to How Deep It Goes by Arboretum from Let It All In.
Alrighty. Thank you all for hanging with us here today in the episode number 99. Next mm. episode that you hear will be in triple digits. Very excited about that. We want to thank you guys. This was kind of like the right episode to have as our 99th. You know, close off the first 100 episodes that we've recorded as a podcasting duo with our top albums of the weirdest fucking year of our entire life so far. Because it's not over yet. It's not over yet. It is the weirdest fucking year of my life. And it's not over yet. We could have like 10 totally different albums over uh, in December if like all this shit goes away and everything opens back up and life goes back to normal and we like look back on this year and are like, what the hell happened in the spring? I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately, but uh, mm. it may just get weirder and weirder. We may just like be locked in our homes until uh, next spring. But um, I'm not going to go through everything that we played here. Uh, we'll post these songs to our Spotify playlist. Um We'll have everything written out in Medium, in the show notes as well of what our favorite records of the year were. Um, I hope that you guys dug this. I hope that this introduces you guys to some new music that we've been digging. Let us know any records that uh, definitely strike your fancy here. Just a reminder, you can find us on social media, Twitter at underscore beyond the pond, one word. We've got a Medium page, medium.com slash beyond the pond. Always um, on Spotify, we have our master Spotify playlist with all the songs we've featured throughout. It's getting quite unwieldy, 500 plus songs at this point. It's uh, Beyond the Pond podcast songs on Spotify. As always, we encourage responsible Spotify usage. If there's something you really like, you got to go to Bandcamp, you got to purchase it, you got to get vinyls, especially now when bands can't tour. They really need... um, you really got to purchase their music now more than ever if you love it. And uh, Spotify just doesn't get it done in that respect. And also, check out Beyond the Pond and all the other fantastic podcasts on the Osiris Media Network at OsirisPod.com. Absolutely. And uh, as we've been doing throughout much of the spring, every other Tuesday, you got a record coming or a <laughs> every other Tuesday, you've got a new episode coming from us. Our next Tuesday release is going to be episode 100. We uh, are very excited about that. Recorded that with a very special guest host and um, took some questions from you guys that we're excited to share the answers for. It should be a ton of fun for us to celebrate and kind of get loose and look back on what the last 100 episodes have been like. Actually, there's been more, but you know, uh, beyond that, we've got episodes planned here throughout most of the summer. We're stoked about that. We've got some really great guests that are going to be joining us, some great jams. We're going to focus on some stylistic kind of historical deep dives into aspects of, uh, music outside of fish that help to create fish. So very stoked for what does to come here as we turn the page into our next hundred episodes. Thank you all for the time that you spent hanging with us and uh, please come on back and give us a sense of uh, kind of what you're, what you're thinking about the music that we're sharing. Seriously, come back in two weeks. We are excited for our hundredth episode. We know that uh, things continue to be batshit insane in quarantine. So if you listen to beyond the pond, we thank you very, very much because we uh, love doing it. It kind of allows us to take our mind off some crazy shit for a few hours at a time. 
So come back. In two weeks, we'll hold hands. We may sing Kumbaya. We'll fight Fish Myopia and go beyond the pond. Beyond the Pond podcast is part of Osiris Media. It is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman.